Thank you all for having me. Hi, I'm really grateful for being here. Um, this is new for me, I, this whole uh, crutch thing and all of that. I tore my Achilles. Oh, yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, the whole thing kind of rolls up into your calf muscle. It's an interesting endeavor. Uh, but we got here. I hobbled here uh, all the way from Harlem. No, I'm, I'm kidding. My friend brought me here. Um, but as he said, I got four kids, been married 14 years. Uh, thank you. No, it's okay. I say, hey, hey, look, 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 look. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, I appreciate it. No, no, no. So I like this. So the church that, I, that, I, that I'm a part of is usually kind of stoic, and they just kind of look at me. So the feedback is really enriching for me right now. I'm really encouraged. So thank you, thank you. Um, if you have a Bible, uh, I'll have you open it up. Uh, we're going to be in the Old Testament. Uh, I think some of it will be on the screen, too. But we're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 9. Um, this is an obscure passage. I'm going to tell you right now. So there's a name in here that I'm going to repeat over and over and over again. But I want us to practice that name right now. It's Mephibosheth. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Say Mo. That's my name, Mo. Fibosheth. There it is, Mo Fibosheth. That's the, that's the homie we're going to look at today uh, in our text. Uh, but I want to give you a little bit of background on what's going on before we get to him, okay? Um, so we're in the Old Testament. So we're talking about kings and Israel primarily. And, and when you're in that space, you're seeing all kinds of turmoil, all kinds of ups and downs, which we're very familiar with in our own life, right? Um, and so what you have going on is you have this king named Saul, first king over Israel ever. Uh, and if you know a little bit of background, basically Israel is like, hey, God, you've been a cool king to us, but we want a human king, somebody a little bit more manageable. Uh, and so he said, you don't want that, but I'll give you that anyway. Uh, and so he gave them Saul and Saul did exactly what uh, God said he would do. He was not a very good king. And that's putting it lightly. He he definitely um, spoiled the fun for them quite a bit. Uh, but then God was like, OK, I'm going to give you a good king or at least a decent king. If you know the, the King David, he's got a he's got a, a interesting story in of himself. But what happened was God called David as king, but didn't take Saul out of being king over Israel. It's a little awkward situation between these two men. Um, and so Saul spent the rest of his career as king trying to kill David. Now, an interesting thing about David is David was also best friends with Saul's son, Jonathan. So they were real tight. And so just catch the situation. So you got, you've been told by God, you're going to be king. You best friends with a now king's son, which obviously is threatening his whole situation as well. Oh, and your best friend's daddy trying to kill you. So that's David's life for a, a good chunk of time where basically his, his best friend daddy trying to kill him. Story keeps going. Eventually Saul and Jonathan die in battle, right? It's really dramatic. They can make movies over this stuff. It's crazy. Um, and so eventually they die. Then David becomes king, you know. And so what happens, what was best practice during that time period? If you became king, especially if it wasn't a part of your family. So the way you do kings and queens is, you know, your kids become the next heir to the throne and that sort of thing. But if you put somebody else in that spot instead, all of a sudden that person best practices wipe out the whole family of the previous family that was king, right? So David did a little bit of that. But there was one guy in particular who didn't get killed. His name is Mephibosheth, as we reviewed earlier. Mephibosheth was about five years old or so. His nursemaid heard that uh, David was coming through killing everybody. 
And so she ran out the house with him and dropped him. And when she dropped him, he broke his legs. Um, and in that time period, there are no doctors, there are no crutches, there are no boots. They're not saying six weeks of rehab, it's done. Your legs are gone, that's it. So for the rest of this man's life, not only was he in hiding, he was alone, he was scared for his life, and also couldn't necessarily provide for himself at that time period. That's Mephibosheth, okay? David's king, he's reigning over his throne. And so this is, it sounds, it sounds real dark, right? When someone says, this is my favorite passage, I just talked about this man losing his legs, about to get murdered, all these things, but I'll get there, okay? Here, here's why it's one of my favorite stories. I think this story paints a picture, a small picture, a, a micro picture of our relationship with God, okay? And so when you look at the king, look at God as king and us as Mephibosheth in this story, okay? We're going to put ourselves in the story a bit, which can get dangerous, but we'll get there. We'll be all right. And so as we jump in, remember Mephibosheth is hiding from David. David is now king. And as he's ruling over Israel, he asks his servant Ziba, hey man, do you know anybody that's a part of uh, Saul, the, the former king's family line? Which at that point is kind of sketchy, right? It's like, haven't you taken out enough? Aren't you king already? But he asked him, and here's what he says. Verse 3. So the king asked, is there no one still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? God's kindness. Ziba answered the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. So he's like, hey, he's not a threat, right? And so my first point here is in relationship with God, God initiates us. As the king of kings, the Lord of lords, God initiates us. So what you got here is King David sends out for Mephibosheth. He initiates him. He invites him to his house, not to kill him, but to show him kindness. David wanted to show grace. Here's why this matters. Mephibosheth was blamed in both feet, which means, humanly speaking, he added zero value to David's family. Like, no value to his household. As a human, yes, he... He has innate value as a human, but let's just be honest. He can't be a soldier. He wasn't going to be a warrior for King David. He wasn't going to be a servant very well either because he couldn't get around. And so, so he, he didn't add anything to the table. And, and, and even, I mean, Mephibosheth recognizes. Verse 8, he says, Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should not notice a dead dog like me? So this is significant. So, so here's what Mephibosheth did. He had two significant acts here. The first one, I would say, is that he paid homage. It says that, that in humility, he paid homage. So to, to put that out there, if I could stand, I would, I would basically lay down flat on my face like this, right, before the king. Now, granted, again, remember, the king had every right to just snuff the life out of this dude. And to, to pay homage in this way says, hey, I have no defense I have nothing to bring. I have nothing to attack with. In fact, I am completely helpless in this moment. So the first thing is that he came in humility. The second thing he did, he called himself a dead dog. Now, I have a dog. You might have a dog. We like dogs, right? That, that's kind of a thing. They're pets. Well, at this time period, they ain't pets. You don't, the dogs are scavengers. They're like coyotes and kind of like, almost like our rats. That's kind of how they saw dogs at that time is the way we look at rats. If you have a pet, I'm sorry, but it's still a rat. Um, but nonetheless, they looked at him that way. And so he called himself not just a rat, but a dead one. Now, my dog is aged. He's 14 years old. He's a German shepherd, which means his life expectancy, Lord willing, is shorter. 
and I like my dog, okay? But if he dies, he's not of much use to me, right? Like, in fact, he might start to smell a little bit. You can't walk dead dogs. And this man, Mephibosheth, just called himself a dead dog. Now, here's what I want to say. Catch this. In the same way, when we interact with the king, we have a similar posture with God. Now, here's where the similarities are. One is the way you approach God is with great humility because you bring nothing to the table of value for him. doesn't mean that you're not valuable. So catch this. I'm not saying we're not valuable. God, bear, we bear God's image. We are innately valuable inherently. God has given goodness to us, no question. However, like, what can you offer him? Right? Like, we can't give him money. We can't give him service necessarily that's going to necessarily raise the bar. God is God. And so to pay homage, to come in humbly, that's, that's our first approach. The second thing, to call himself a dead dog means that he doesn't come in with anything to barter with. Right? Hyperbolically, the Bible even speaks of us as being God's enemies. Right? And so what it's saying is that our, proverb, like our proverbial uh, lameness, our broken legs, our sin prevents us at times from having the relationship we desire to have with the king, and yet the king would initiate us anyway, right? Like God is, in, in us paying homage, in us prostrating ourselves, in us saying, hey, I don't bring any of my goodness to the table, God says, come and see. God is and was initiating toward me a long time ago, okay? Like my story with God is, is very complicated because it always starts with a woman. It's a very interesting endeavor, right? So here's what I mean by that. I remember Denise in third grade. She was the new girl. So, of course, she was cute because she was the new girl. Um, and Denise, her daddy would take me to this weird building on Wednesday nights where they would open up this old book with all these old dead people in it and talk about this God who loves people. Right. Denise and I didn't last very long. We were in third grade. So um, the second time was when I was in middle school. So seventh grade, this woman this young lady, her daddy was like, hey, you can see him, but he's going to be in church on Sunday. And so they would drag me to this church with some real awkward people. Again, church is weird sometimes and it's OK. But they would talk about this God in this really old book who loves you and cares about you. A little side note, I actually ended up uh, working at that church uh, many, many years later, which was an interesting kind of full circle. But that's not where God met me. He met me there, but he didn't meet me there, if you know what I mean. The third time was, again, saw this girl, thought she was cute. We didn't end up dating. Um, it just didn't work out. But nonetheless, her mama and her aunt, Auntie Rose and Auntie Ruth, would come pick me, my son, who I, I also have a 21-year-old. His name is Trey, beautiful kid. When I had, I had him when I was 16. So she would pick me, my son, and my sister up and bring us to church every single Sunday. And then we'd go, we'd worship. But then after that, they would feed us a home-cooked meal, which was hard to come by if you know my family line at all. And they loved us deeply. But it didn't stop there. It didn't stop there. So then I get to college. I go to college and I meet this cute girl. Again, I told you. Like, so you remember the, the, the story with the, what happened at the, after the resurrection? A bunch of women came. There were no dudes at the resurrection, just mind you. Okay? So God apostolically went after me like, like they went after the resurrection. Anyway, let's keep going. Um, so I met this woman. She was cute and she played basketball. Okay? That's how I got this injury. I know we can go there later, but we're not going to go there right now. But she, she played basketball. She was on the basketball team in my college. 
we met, she had this conversation with me about this Jesus who, who knew me, who loved me, and who initiated with me. And so that's where I came to faith in Christ was when I was in college. Now, the only thing I could bring to the table at that moment was all of the baggage that I brought from my previous life, right? Like, I didn't bring anything. Like, what good is an 18-year-old boy going to bring to the God of the universe who breathed life into existence? Not a whole lot, but yet God said, I see you. You see, God used other people in my life to continue to interact with me. And I would say, if you're in the room right now and just hearing my voice, God is interacting with you. He's initiating you, right? Like, it's not accidents that are happening that God would initiate. Now, you can ignore. Don't get me wrong. I've been in that space even recently. Like, oh, I don't want to hear you right now. But God is still initiating you, and he's going to use other people to do the same thing. So to become a part of God's family, you weren't smart enough. You weren't good enough. You weren't the kindest of people enough. Your lineage, if you come from mine, wasn't that great to begin with. And so you brought nothing to the table. And yet God said, I'm going to initiate you. I'm going to seek you out and break you out of your bondage and bring you into my glory. Amen. Okay, God initiates. Let's keep looking at Mephibosheth, amen? Verse 9 and 10. Then the king summoned Zebus, Saul's servant, and said to him, catch this, this is wild. I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family, you and your sons and your servants. So he's talking to Zebus, the servant that went to go get him. He said, hey, you and your whole family going to serve this dude. You and your sons and your servants are going to, are, are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now, Zebo had 15 sons and 20 servants. So the second point that I got for you is that God invites us. So not only does he initiate us, he invites us into something. You see, David invited Mephibosheth to be a part of the king's family. Now, catch that. How bizarre is that? His granddaddy tried to murder him, and now he's a part of the family, right? Like he went from being enemy of the state to being the son of the king in the room, right? Like, like it doesn't make any sense that he would get an inheritance for anything. Like the only thing that this man could have been given that would have still been grace is to continue to breathe. And yet the king said, no, 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 no. You're going to sit at my table and dine with me forever. He became royalty by God's grace. Not only was he forgiven, but he was made family. You see, that's like, if, you, if you're familiar with the movie, the, the great film Lion King, it's like if we get to the end of the movie and Simba and Scar are in a conversation and Scar's like, hey, I know I killed your daddy, but, and then Simba's like, yeah, I know you killed my daddy too, but you're going to sit in my household, right? You're going to invite the enemy into your house to be with you and be king with you. It doesn't make any sense. Just like it doesn't make a whole lot of sense why the God of the universe would create things and tell those created things, hey, you're going to be my family, right? Like that's some grace, right? Mephibosheth was invited not only as an individual for forgiveness and redemption, but he was invited to be a part of something greater than himself. We're made sons and daughters of the living God by God's grace. That's what Jesus accomplished, right? The gospel is not just to save us from sin like it is but it's also to save us to a family. See, I'm convinced this is why we love the underdog story, 
right? Like when you watch the movie, you, you always think about, man, the underdog. We're we waiting for that. When you're watching the, the game film, the sports games, like I was watching Colorado yesterday versus USC in football. We want Deion Sanders to win everything right now because he's an underdog, right? Like that's, that's what we want to happen. But I'm convinced that we want that to happen because the reality is we're hoping that is our story too. That we're the underdog that nobody saw anything in and yet God would still reach out and make something of us anyway, right? That's a love story. Like God sees you right here, right now. And that's your story, right? Like the story of like you're one of one or of eight billion people on the planet and still God said, no, 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 I love you. In Christ, we have a higher position than David ever gave Mephibosheth. Like in the Bible, we're shown these micro stories. These are a small story, right? Like Mephibosheth's name is only mentioned three times in the whole Bible, <laughs> right? But he's in there. He's in the story. It's a micro story of the macro story of God and what God wants to do for people. He wants to come out and say, I love you. I see you. I'm with you. I'm for you. You're invited to the table. This is just a foreshadowing again of what Jesus would do later on for us. You see, most of us, no, I'll say all of us are seeking something. We're looking for something. Whether that's a job, a degree, a little bit more money and a little bit more. Whether that's seeking approval from parents or spouses or children. Whether that's just me sitting here just waiting for the six weeks to be over with so I don't have to have these crutches. Whatever that might be. We're looking for something, right? We're looking to be on the other side of something. I guarantee you Mephibosheth wasn't just sitting at home like, this is it. He was waiting for something. He was longing for something different. And I think a lot of us are longing for something different, our circumstances to change, our situation to be different, for someone to treat us differently. Whatever it might be, we're waiting for it. And all the while, God said, here's my promise. I've initiated you and now I've invited you to have a seat at my table. Want for no more. Need for no more. Now, yes, things aren't easy. Mephibosheth still can't walk, y'all. Like, his circumstance didn't change. He just got an elevated position with God, right? With the king. So, so, so here's my question for you people in the room. Do you know what you've been invited to? Do you know what table you get to sit at? Chapter 9, verse 13, here's what it says. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table and he was crippled in both feet. You see, we're searching for a piece of something here on earth when we've been given all of eternity. We've been given a kingdom that is much grander than the things that we have here and now. And I know sometimes, don't get me wrong, sometimes that sounds trite when hard things start to happen, right? But what else we got? You see, he was still lame in both feet and yet he was still seated at the table with the king. It doesn't wash away the pain, but it definitely makes it better that there's something that we can look forward to, right? We've been offered something. Everything that we need for joy, everything we need for satisfaction is found as being a child of the king, not a servant, not a worker, not a do-gooder for the king, but a child of the king. We've been given a new identity, right? We've been given a new family. We get to be a part of God's family, not because of the good that we've done, not for the, because of the good that we have, but because God has brought God's goodness to us. We're invited to the table with nothing to offer. Amen. All right. Next point. Final one. I promise. Maybe there's another one. We'll see. Um, 
God invests in us. God invests in us. So here, catch this. God gives us his presence, not just his presence or his gifts. So let me show you Mephibosheth, 10 chapters over, 10 chapters over. Like I said, his name is only mentioned like three times in the Bible. Here's the other time. The situation is Ziba, his servant, was waiting for an opportunity and not a good one. So, okay, King David goes off to war somewhere because his own son, Absalom, betrays him. So he's fleeing the kingdom. He's going to try to figure that out. Ziba tells the king, hey, guess what? Mephibosheth backstabbed you and betrayed you. So the king, in an impulse, he's like, hey, look, I'm stressed out. I got a lot of life stuff going on. Just take everything that's Mephibosheth that's yours now. Okay? So Ziba, the servant, took everything. And then we get to this point in the story. As the, as the fle fleeing goes on, later on, Mephibosheth comes back on the scene and greets David. Here's what it says, verse 28 and 30. It says, all my grandfather's descendants deserve nothing but death from my lord, the king. So he's, he's lost everything again. Okay, that's Mephibosheth. So he's already lost everything back in the past. Now he lost everything again. And the king's coming back and the king should kill him now because Ziba said, hey, this dude ain't any good. Right. So he comes in. He says, all my grandfather's descendants deserve nothing but death from my lord, the king. But you gave your servant a place among those who eat at your table. So what right do I have to make any more appeals to the king? He didn't even make it a defense. He didn't come to him and say, oh, man, you know what? That dude lying. He came and said, you know what? I didn't deserve what I had, but I got it anyway. He keeps going. The king said to him, why say more? I order you and Ziba to divide the fields. So then he says, hey, both of y'all just split it up. Forget it. And here's what Mephibosheth said. Mephibosheth said to the king, let him take everything now that my lord, the king, has arrived home safely. The presence of the king. You see, David offered to give Mephibosheth half of everything back to him. Because it was unjust, right? It was unjust what happened to him. He offered to give half of it back. He said, no, 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 no. I don't want your stuff. I want you. Let, let me, let me, let me, let me. Let him have it all because all I want is God the king, my Lord, to be safely home with me. You see, we see two valuable responses here to God's presence, to the king's presence in Mephibosheth's life. The first one is Mephibosheth had been given unmerited favor. He had been given grace, and so therefore he was able to give more grace. You see, Ziba didn't deserve forgiveness. He didn't deserve to have anything. He betrayed him. And yet he had an abundance of grace that he was given from the king, and so therefore he was able to respond in grace by giving Ziba that grace. Not to just give grace, but to, but to give him all the more. Notice that Ziba didn't apologize. Right? He didn't come back and be like, yo, dog, I'm sorry. Like, like, let's make this right. No, no, no. Mephibosheth gave him grace without a response ex expectation from Ziba. Now, that's the hard one for me. That's the hard one, right? Like, here's why it's hard. November 2020, I remember the phone call where I told my earthly father, don't bother calling back again. Okay, see, my, my, my father was a drug addict growing up um, and still is one now. And, and that's not his full identity. I recognize that that's not his full identity. It was just a point of entry for drama in my family, right? And I gave him a part of myself and he spit on it. 
Okay? And I said, I'm done. No more. Now, when I look at this text, though, what the text says is that I've been given an abundance of grace. I've been given abundance of love with nothing that I've brought to the table. I didn't ask for it. I didn't gain it. I didn't work for it. It's been given to me. And so what do I do with that? Right? So, so what I'm coming to y'all church today to, to say to you is I'm not killing it in, in this space right now. So here's my olive branch. I texted him a month ago. That's it. That's it. So what I'm telling you right now is not that, not that the text would say, hey, y'all got to forgive and let it go. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. I don't think the text would advocate for that. What I would say the text advocates for is that bitterness and unforgiveness in your soul will eat away at you and kill you. And it will, it will devour you to the point where you won't see the grace that you've been given. And so I'm trying not to be devoured. Amen? Amen. Can you relate to that? Is there someone in your life right now that's betrayed you, that's backstabbed you, that's hurt you deeply, that God's saying, hey, just one step in the direction of ex extending grace. Doesn't mean that you let them all the way back in. But it does mean that, hey, I got to let go of the bitterness. I got to let go of the things that I'm holding against that person so that I might not be eaten alive, so that I might understand the grace more deeply. Amen? Like, Ziba didn't apologize. I'm still mad about that. I'm just telling you right now. He didn't apologize. We have the freedom and the ability to give grace infinitely because we've been given an infinite amount of grace. You see, that's, where, that's the way I get there with my dad, right? Is if I keep remembering that I've been given an infinite amount of grace. So maybe the next time it's another text. I don't know. We'll see. But I'm praying for it, right? I'm asking the Lord for it. Because when we see it, when we see that we've been loved and forgiven, we can do the same thing. We cannot love like David until we know that we've been loved like Mephibosheth. Amen? So the resp first response to God's investment is grace. The second response is gratitude. In verse 30, Mephibosheth not only says, let him take it all, but he says why he's satisfied in losing everything he has because he has the presence of the king with him. He says, since the Lord my king is here and is safe. He was satisfied with the presence of the king. And so I want to ask you, Christian, are you satisfied with the presence of God, with the presence of the king in your life? Amen. Now, there's a pastor one time. He said this quote. I'm not going to quote him because I don't like everything he got to say, but this was a good one. All right. He said, if you could have all of eternity, you know, the heaven meets earth, the beauty that you find in Revelation. If you could have it all, no more tears, no more pain. That person that's acting crazy, they ain't crazy no more. All the goodness you can imagine in this life right now, if it could be given to you now, would you take it if Jesus wasn't there? No. Now we say no, but for real though, come on. Like, like, like there's a part of me, I'm going to tell you right now, I'll take it. I might take it. But what Mephibosheth is saying is that the presence of the king is all the more greater than even every tear going away, every, every tear shed, every joy being given. All of those things are good, but they're only as good as the king being with you. You see, we're made to believe that this whole thing is about getting heaven and satisfaction and all the goodness and all those things. And that's a part of it, but it's a byproduct of being in the presence of the king. We get God out of the deal. How small and powerless is our God if all, we, if, all we, if all we need is for our circumstances to be changed? 
That'd be a flawed God, and that's not the goal. Jesus is the goal. The lover of our soul, the wanderer of our affections is the goal. So that's what I pray for us today. That's what I ask of us today is that would you, would you prostrate yourself before the king now and moment by moment in the moments when those circumstances are hard, when things are difficult, would you prostrate yourself before the king? Would you pay homage to the king who has extended abundance of love and mercy and grace because he saw you in your brokenness. He saw you in your weakness. He sees you now in the broken state that we might be in and says, I love you. I'm for you. I'm with you. And not only did I initiate you, but I continue to invite you to come to the table and dine in my presence. Amen.